Legion of Stars, Chapter 5, A Remarkably Normal Day. The next week was fairly mundane for Loon. It was, however, the first time in a while that he had time to enjoy life and work without the threat of dying. Lumiere, his companion, had started helping a priest at the Temple of Selyun while he was fixing whatever was wrong with Lumiere. One Thursday night, some rush orders came into the smithy Loon worked at, and many apprentices, including Loon, stayed with Namil, the co-owner and smith. So, what do you do for a living? Namil asked. Huh? Loon shouted over the hammering of his fellow apprentices. How did you get all the money for training? Oh, I travel and help people. I guess you could say that I'm a professional adventurer. I've been slogging across Polska for the last half year. Got any tales to cure the boredom? Well, there was this one time. Loon started telling stories in time with the hammering. Traveling down from Mistborn, we found this druid. Strahd von Zarevich stared stoically at the oracle's crystal ball as the image faded. As he grabbed the ball in his large, pale hand, Strahd dug his black fingernails into the sphere until it cracked and shattered to bits. Clear crystal shards fell, tinkling on the floor. He turned his head almost imperceptibly. Geslov. His voice was deep and low. The lesser vampire lieutenant shambled forward to the black-cloaked Strahd's side. Yes, Lord Intellect. First, what did I say about names? Apologies, your brilliance. Better. Strahd grumbled. Sent two of the new ones after that elf, Loon. Perhaps he's grown soft over this last fortnight. He did clear out a tomb of devils just over a week ago, Sire. I am aware, Strahd barked. Are you saying that we are to be compared to lowly devils? I should have your teeth removed for such a claim. Idiot weasel, he thought. Do you not think I would send more if we had them? The gaunt vampire Gaslov recoiled at his master's words. Greatest apologies, your excellence. I shall send two to take care of this elf. Good. Strahd turned back to the oracle. And clean this up. He looked down at the pale corpse of the diviner. Strahd whipped around, cloak billowing, and stepped out into the cold winter night. Gesloff began barking orders. Boris, Demaris, you two go and capture that elf, Luna Voice. He's in Hereford. Get a move on. Now! Solius! Take care of the body. Strahd walked to his snow-covered carriage under the full moon. He could feel the light of the moon like Selyun's rage beating down on him as if Strahd were immortal in the noonday sun. He let out a soft chuckle at her weakness trying her hardest to kill him, but incapable alone. He glided into the coach and onto the plush seats. The driving thrall whipped the skeletal horses forward, and they drove on, away from the oracle's tent. He gazed out of the window as the coach ran down the road. Yes, Gaslov, he killed all of those devils. How did he get so strong in only two weeks? What happened to that loon? Thoughts like this flooded the vampire lord's mind as the carriage drove down the broken cobbles of North Polska. 
The next day, Namil and all of his apprentices came into the smithy exhausted after working until three the night before. Their side of the shop progressed with lethargy throughout the day. Loon finished the day's work and found himself subconsciously casting spells to clean his hair, hands, and face. Time at the Magic College Miskatonic had made tricks like this so easy. Namil used the same rag he had the day Loon arrived. It had only gotten blacker since. Samil, the hill dwarf, who was the other headsmith, simply didn't care about the filth and soot and walked off to his home. What have you been working on? Namil asked, pointing to Loon's side project. Loon looked at the scythe lying on the workbench. Oh, just an old thing I picked up for... No, it's the middle of February. Uh, five months ago. I wanted to make it collapsible for a while now, but... Never had the time on the road, so here we are. Namil gave Loon a quizzical look. It's late January, Loon. Maybe all that adventure and got your time off. No, I could have sworn. Loon grabbed a nearby newspaper. It read January 30th. Huh. Namil patted Loon on the shoulder as he walked past. You cope with that. Meanwhile, I'm going home. Have a good weekend. Loon stared at the paper for a while. What happened to those three weeks? He thought. For a moment, he brushed the thought away and picked up the scythe again. Loon had augmented it heavily over the last week. He added hinges in three places to make the blade and haft fold up for what Belzner would call a more compact carrying experience. There was also a canister and tubing affixed to the blade, it should propel the blade, in theory, to make spinning easier. Loon folded the shaft and slid the scythe into his bag. He locked the door as he left the smithy. Loon shielded his eyes from the low sun. He looked up at the late afternoon sky. Clouds swirled around the peaking spires of noble houses in the second wall. On the conical roofs of the town, there was a light dusting of snow, even on such a clear day. The sky was speckled with high, fluffy clouds floating in its amber sea. The cold wind bit Loon's cheek, and he smiled. It had been a while since his life had not been at risk of death. For a short while, he could enjoy the slow feel of calm city living. Loon threw on his coat and pulled the collar up to block the chill winds. He set off along the winding streets back to his apartment. Upon entering his current home, he saw the stacks of books he had checked out of the Miskatonic library. They sat piled on a low table, and the floor around it. These were all academic journals written on natural magics and alchemy. They were where he found the theories about propulsion for the scythe. Loon placed his bag on the table and lit a pipe as he returned to pondering the lost, or rather gained, time. Something weird had happened. How had he gained three weeks on the rest of the world? Perhaps this is why he hadn't been hunted by any of Strahd's lackeys since his departure from the party. Perhaps it was that ripple he felt on the first week. Looking back, there was something arcane feeling in that shockwave. Meanwhile, in the actual campaign happening at the same time as this story, Perspective, William Coningsby. Date, early January. As William saw Bill and Belzerin enter the strange pillar of magic, things inside became clearer. 
Rather than seeing a farm plantation, he saw several strange moments, all pieces of time, flicker in and out of reality. He blinked and turned back to the two imperial wizards trying to help the Miskatonic abjurist. How is he? William asked. The two wizards responded in Zemnian, one of the few languages William didn't understand. He pulled out a pad of paper and a quill. He scratched out the question in almost every language he knew, and they pointed to the one draconic. They then took the page and said yes in more words than a grade school book report. William rolled his eyes at the fact that wizards could never be simple. Then something happened. The pillar became solid. All the frozen pieces of time became real and present. William identified the armor of a king servant, an elite level knight in close battle with a six-headed demon. The demon had a staff oscillating in the air before it. No time to think, William ran forward and slung the rifle off of his shoulder. He planted a knee in the ground and aimed steady. A loud crack shook the air as a piece of lead flew into the column of jumbled time. Flying true and precise, the bullet cracked through the crystal staff. A blood-curdling scream echoed across the snow-covered plains as a black clawed hand ripped through the earth and tore the demon from this reality. The king's servant sheathed his sword and grabbed his mangled arm as he departed from the time pocket. Bill came flying out of the magic cylinder with an ornate lance in hand. Shava had a strange stick, and it was good to see her again, since she couldn't be found this morning. And Belzerin hadn't made it out yet. The magic anomaly started cracking and shrinking. Then it imploded. When all was thought lost, a huge silver hand ripped the air itself open and threw its body out of a white tear in reality. It was a mechanical torso that had to be the height of several men. A hatch opened and out popped Belzerin, grinning like an idiot covered in grease. Then the shockwave hit. Coningsby had felt similar time anomalies, though nothing of this magnitude. This was the world writing itself. Things had happened in that ancient plantation, and time had to resolve itself. William ran after his hat in the snow and eventually caught it. And now, back to the story. Lewin had smoked all of the mint tobacco out of his stout pipe when he decided to not wonder about the lost time anymore. He reset his pipe and refilled his whiskey. Throwing himself back onto the couch, Loon set his mind to studying. After the sun rose, Loon went downstairs, out of the Gold Street Inn and to a local cafe. Grabbing a coffee and a small breakfast, he headed off to spend his Saturday at Miskatonic University to further his studies among peers. Leaving the city to go to the college had become less daunting. That is, traveling under the immense wall and gates became more normal. He walked along the small beaten path with a pastry in one hand and a clay mug in his other. Loon placed the empty mug in a collection tray at the entrance of the college as he stepped into the university's private dimension. He made his way to the grand lecture hall, casually greeting other students and scholars as he walked. He stopped as he heard a familiar voice call his name. Hey, Loon! It was Axemir Christian, a student around the age of 25, with a fiery hairstyle and an almost more fiery personality. He was, of course, studying the School of Evocation. His robes were different than most, too. He wore, instead of traditional robes, a fluffy shirt and pants. Axemir slowed as he approached Loon. Hey, hey, what's up? 
What's up, Axe? I was just going to lecture hall. I heard they are speaking on spell sculpting and evocation today. Oh, come on. I could just teach you that. Axe Muir was keeping up with Loon while walking backwards. I need training anyway. Loon stopped. Really? He asked. You're sure you won't just electrocute or burn or freeze me to death? Nah, come on. Have a little faith in me. Let's go to the dueling court and practice. Axemir then darted off to the training building. Loon rolled his eyes, sighed, and followed. Loon saw a now familiar sight as they entered the training hall. Along the walls of the entry hall, there were portraits and dramatic paintings of great duelists. Many of them were Bladesinger wizards. Others were bards from the College of Swords, and the rest were mage blades, like Loon. All were skilled mages and fighters. The hall had many doors for small training rooms off to the sides. The great hall opened into a vast coliseum with a sand floor. Walls stood tall, with balconies hanging over the arena. Along the perimeter, near the entry gates, were various weapons on racks. All of the tools of warfare were fitted with jewels and laced with gold around their hilts. Loon followed Axemir out to the center of the arena. It's really rather straightforward. Axemir started. All you have to do is identify what part of the spell is the targeting movement or word. He started fiddling his fingers about as a magic symbol appeared in front of his hand. Different arcanum use different words, though. For example, you use elvish words. Learn these and you'll know what words to add. He barked out some arcane words and lightning shot out from his fingertips. It arced around the arena. The lightning curved in pockets that would avoid allies. Oh, you make it look so easy. Loon's voice was laced with sarcasm, a tone Axemir did not pick up. Well, it is. Now you try it. Just try with, like, a fireball. Include words like avoid and self, for a start. Loon walked to the center of the arena, and Axemir walked a good distance away. Loon started the small motions of the somatic elements of the spell as he mumbled the vocal. He jolted his finger downward as he said what Axemir suggested— all around him, fire burst outward. There was a small circle where he was standing that the flames did not envelop. The blaze swirled and expanded outward, until there was no flame. Axemir clapped as he saw that Loon was unsinged. He walked up and patted Loon's shoulder. There you go. Remember, though, take everything in stride. Not everyone has an intellect like mine that can progress at feverish speeds. Also, not many are as brash. Well, know thyself and all. This last statement was said in soliloquy. Regardless, do you think hearing old men ramble and walking away with a theory would have been better than this? You just sculpted a spell. How do you feel? Axemir had thrown himself around Loon as if he were on a stage, until the end where he leaned in close, hand on chin, fiery orange eyes directed up at Loon's crystal blue eyes. Loon looked down, ever curious about Axemir's mood and attitude swings. It was cool, Loon shrugged. What do you want me to say? Axemir's shoulders, back, and arms slumped down. I don't know. He twirled away from Loon. Isn't it fun? He yelled, using the arena's shape to amplify his voice. Or maybe it was thaumaturgy. To bend magic to your will, to shape the very fabric of the weave to your command, to make the world obey your words, is it not exhilarating? As he spoke these last words, Axmir fell to his knees and slid to be looking up at Loon once again. Well, how do you...
feel. Loon thought for a moment. When you put it that way. Powerful? Axmir leapt to his feet. Yes! And now you see why evocation is the greatest school magic has ever trained. His demeanor slightly changed for a moment. Oh, but do practice, as I said. You don't want to wind up trying to save a cat and drawing it to cinders instead. Axmir looked off to the side. Oh, sweet tinkles. He mumbled. The clock on center campus tolled out, ringing loud across the Nemi plane. Axmir shot up. I have to get to the theater. He bolted off, sand kicking up behind him. Farewell. Loon found himself alone in the Coliseum. Suddenly, he heard quick footsteps behind him. Hey, Loon. Loon reflexively thrust his elbow back. He felt it connect and break something. Loon turned to see a young man in colorful, fine clothes flying backwards. He landed on his bum, skidding along the sand. Oh, hey, Charlie. Charlie rubbed his head under his unkempt brown hair. Dude, what in the hells? Don't suddenly appear behind a high-strung hunter. Don't treat that like an excuse. That's not cool, man. I think you broke my nose. Noon mumbled something. Huh? Charlie said. Suddenly his nose snapped back into position. I told you you shouldn't have done it that way. This was Alexis Winthrop, Charlie's older sister, and a student in abjuration. Alexis was the type of person that might be found in a quiet corner of a library, where Charlie could be found playing a violin in band or throwing daggers and breathing fire on the stage. What are you two doing here? He saw you and Axemir walking to the arena, Alexis said. So he got me because you wanted to duel again. Charlie rocked onto his back and threw himself onto his feet. Yeah, let's fight again. I have some new tricks that might beat you this time. Loon rolled his eyes. Fine. Alexis, I know. Keep track of him and not you. I'll use my shield. Blue magic flowed from Alexis's extended hand towards Charlie. The blue magic mist coated him completely. He readied a dagger and a rapier. Ready? Loon shifted one of his feet and placed his hand at the ready over his broadsword's hilt. Got yourself a true. Loon rushed forward. The glittering silver nearly flew out of the black scabbard as the sword whipped towards Charlie, who surprisingly evaded the attack and countered with his rapier. He missed, but Loon was impressed by how close he got. Charlie flew away as Loon cast Push, flipping through the air and landing in a tripod position, rapier still readied and a dagger in the sand. He flicked the dagger up and threw it at Loon. Sing my blade, Charlie cried as it soared through the air and a purpley-pink chain formed behind the knife. With a loud pang of metal on metal, Loon swept the dagger out of the air. With his broadsword, the knife stabbed into the floor and its magic chain tried to grab at anything around it before vanishing. Loon dashed forward and slashed across Charlie's chest. Faster than many could blink, three blows struck the bluish shield covering Charlie. Charlie laced out two attacks and did a strange movement with his rapier that made him nigh impossible to hit. He whipped out a small object from his vest and flung it towards Loon. The throwing dart pierced Loon's shoulder and he felt an influence try to enter his mind. He quickly shook it away and ripped the dart out. Did you really just try to charm an elf? Can't blame me for trying. Loon shrugged and bolted towards Charlie again. There was interplay for a while. They traded near hits. Charlie threw spells and enchantments which Loon fought off with blinding speed. Glancing shots at the bluish shield around Charlie and Loon powered through several spell-induced headaches. 
At one point, near the end of the duel, Charlie threw a dagger that Loon could not parry. Loon jerked his head to the side as his dancing katana flew out from under his coat to knock away the knife. The sword and sheath spun around him, ready to defend and attack. Oh, we're using magic items now! Charlie clacked the heels of his boots together as the soles started to glow with energy. Sparks arced with each of his steps. Like lightning, he ran towards Loon. Charlie laced his rapier through the air, but it was no match for the combined speed of Loon and Nirmith, his dancing blade. Charlie snapped his free hand, and his gloves started to glow with the same electric light as his boots, and his attack sped up. Then, it became hard to see what was happening from the outside of the duel as speed grew. Loon defended with his sheaths, one flying the other in hand, and attacked with his blades mimicking each other's swings. Charlie made precise near-miss attacks with his rapier, and sang little ditties as he shuffled around at blinding speeds. Alexis noticed Charlie's shield dying. Loon, she said. The duel continued. With a sharp clang, both Loon's swords came in contact with Charlie's rapier. It flew into the air and stabbed into the ground. Loon gave a swift kick to Charlie's chest, knocking him to the ground. Loon reeled back for another attack. Loon! Alexis called, but the attack was already in motion. Charlie looked up with fear as the two blades came toward his head. The elvish steel and silver sliced his cheek. Loon's katana and dancing scabbard returned to his coat as he helped Charlie back to his feet. You still hold too much confidence in that shield. You really need to act like you don't have it, and you're fighting for your life. That's how you learn to fight. Loon placed a cold, pale hand on Charlie's cheek. He healed the wound, but left the twin scars. Let that be a reminder. Charles ran his fingers along the two pale scars. Yes, sir. Thank you for not killing my brother, Alexis said as she approached. Loon turned and bowed. Anytime, lady. Loon then walked to the weapon rack and grabbed a blunted rapier. He laced the air as he approached the center again. Now to the real training, he said. And God. The following hours were filled with fencing spars, dagger throwing, and archery training. Alexis got lunch at some point, and the time Loon spent in Miskatonic's Coliseum was filled with teaching in the area of his expertise. The campus clock rang. Loon acknowledged the bell, pulled out his pocket watch, and was stunned at the time. I've got to get going, he said. Charles, I expect you to fight like you mean it next time. Loon called as he ran to the arena's exit. Upon leaving Miskatonic, Loon entered the real world's early evening. He jogged around the city wall and entered the gates to a slowing Saturday market. He went about buying supplies for the night's dinner and wandered back to the Gold Street Inn for the night. Loon unlocked his door and entered into the familiar room. He put his groceries on the kitchenette counter and got ready to prepare for dinner. As he finished making two toasted sandwiches, there was a knock on the door. He walked over and leaned against the door with a dagger in hand. He wasn't in a bad area of the city, but... Anyone looking for him probably wanted him dead. Hello? A sharp voice came from behind the door. May we come in? Monster Hunter's caution came to mind. No, come back in the morning. He heard grumbling and footsteps behind the door. If they weren't vampires, or some other beast, they would come back tomorrow. Putting away his dagger, Loon went back to the counter and started eating his toasted sandwiches. Outside, Boris 
turned to Demaris. Are we really going to take that as the answer? Demaris shrugged. We have to. We can't enter the premises unless invited in. Well, we can't just leave him be. Boss wants him. They were walking by now and turned down an alleyway. I said can't enter the premises. Not that we couldn't do anything about him. Demaris pulled a crossbow up from under his black flowing robes. It will just be a little more difficult. He shifted into a bat and flew to a rooftop. With a puff of steam, he turned back into his vampiric form. Damaris readied his crossbow and aimed it through the window at Loon's apartment. Spotting the white hair, he pulled the release trigger. Loon sat down on the couch and pulled a sandwich to his mouth. When, just as he was about to bite, the glass shattered behind him. He saw the bolt embed itself in the table, and Loon let out a long sigh. Damn it. He put down the sandwich, disappointed that by the time he got back it would be cold, and summoned his sword. He planted a boot on the windowsill, crunching glass underfoot as his celestial armor formed around him. He saw the robed vampire, catching a glint of the red eye and long tooth in the passing light. So far, tonight looked like it was going to suck. Legion of Stars is written and produced by Alex Pierre. I now have two editors that, as far as I know, would like to remain anonymous, but they both saved my bum this round. The world of Teladar that we are currently in is written by Luke Warner, and if you want to support the show, you can go check out the YouTube and subscribe, it's Notch a Warlock on YouTube, or go to the Patreon, which is Studio Warlock on Patreon and throw five dollars if you do so then you wind up getting all of the scripts uh whenever i'm done recording and yeah you also help support the show which would be great but besides that that's pretty much all that we have besides um one friendly reminder that strahd is essentially dracula for those of you who are not already in tune with the DD universe but that leaves us for until next time so, we here at Studio Warlock would like to say, safe travels, and happy hunting. So all the music is done by Arcane Anthems. Check them out on Patreon. There's a link in the description. All right. Good day. Studio Warlock hopes that you've enjoyed this program.